0: Part 3 Chapter 3 of Canada's Hundred Days This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. Canada's Hundred Days by John Lipsay Part 3 Chapter 3 The Plan of Attack problem of the Canadian Corps was entirely different. In front of us, across the canal, lay the high ground from which Sir Julian Bing's men had been beaten back, but the weakness of his position had not developed from failure to push home those attacks. It came from the increasing exposed flank his drive north created for an active enemy east of the Scheldt Canal. On the other hand, provided we could cross the Canal du Nord, overwhelm the enemy defense on the opposing slope and seize the high ground we should have attained a position not only practical for defense but commanding the valley of the scheldt and the city of cambrai lying within it once established on the high ground north of the city beyond the marquan line and its fall must come about inevitably without the necessity of storming it which would have involved not only heavy casualties for ourselves but must have resulted in its partial destruction, from every point of view to be avoided so far as possible. But to carry out this operation successfully, it was essential that our drive, necessarily of the spearhead type, be assured first a degree of protection along its exposed left flank, and second that there must be adequate support by troops operating immediately on our right, so as to prevent the creation of an equally vulnerable right flank on the left therefore any plan of attack must include the mopping up of the whole peninsula east of the canal du nord and south of the sin thus placing that river between us and the enemy's army based on Douai. but on the right all that was necessary was that as our line advanced north of cambrai the ground should be cleared as far east as the scheldt canal we have seen how the corps commander declined to commit his troops to a frontal attack on the canal du nord from the area we were holding throughout september north of sains les maquillons where the flooded condition of the canal and the high banks opposing us denied success and how he submitted an alternative plan that plan is best explained in his own words as follows on September 15th I received the details of a large operation to be carried out later in the month by the Third and Fourth Armies in which the Canadian Corps was to cooperate by crossing the canal and by capturing Bourlon Wood and the high ground to the northeast of it to protect the left flank of the attack. The 22nd Corps on the left was to take over the front held by the Canadian Corps to a point point one thousand two hundred yards north of the Arras-Cambrae road, and the Canadian Corps was to take over part of the front held by the 17th Corps, 3rd Army, as far as Muerves, exclusive, which was to be the Canadian Corps' right boundary for the attack. By this side slip to the south, the right of the Canadian Corps was to be placed opposite a dry portion of the Canal du Nord, On a front of about two thousand five hundred yards. The Germans were then holding in strength a strip of ground on the west side of the canal, and every effort made by the seventeenth corps to clear this ground and reach the canal banks had been repulsed. On September twenty two, the task of the corps was enlarged so as to include, in addition to the objectives already mentioned, the capture of the bridges over the Scheldt canal north of Cambrai, and the high ground overlooking the Sensee Valley. The right boundary was not altered. To assist in carrying out the above additional task, the 11th British Division and the 7th Tank Battalion were placed under my orders. The date of this operation was definitely fixed for September 27, 1918, at dawn. It was decided that the Fourth and First Canadian Divisions would carry out the initial attack, capture the village of Burlon and macillon respectively, and immediately thereafter seize Burlon Wood and east of Bois de Coqueret and Dartford Wood. At this stage, the Third Canadian Division would pass through the right of the Fourth Canadian Division and advance from the line east of Burlon Wood in an easterly direction towards Noville Saint in liaison with the 17th Corps. The 11th Division was to come up on the left of the 1st Canadian Division and advance in a northeasterly direction toward Ipinoy and wasille le The 4th Canadian Division, on the right center, was to advance towards Blecourt, and the 1st Canadian Division, on the left center, was to advance in the direction of Abancourt. This attack was fraught with difficulties. On the Corps battlefront of 6,400 yards, the Canal du Nord was impassable on the northern 3,800 yards. The Corps had, therefore, to cross the Canal du Nord on a front of 2,600 yards and to expand later, fanwise in a northeasterly direction to a front exceeding 15,000 yards. This intricate maneuver called for most skillful leadership on the part of commanders And the highest state of discipline on the part of the troops the assembly of the attacking troops in an extremely congested area known by the enemy to be the only one available was very dangerous especially in view of the alertness of the enemy a concentrated bombardment of this area prior to zero particularly if gas was employed was a dreaded possibility which could seriously affect the whole of the operation and possibly cause its total failure. To meet such an eventuality, careful arrangements were made by the counter battery staff officer to bring to bear a specially heavy neutralizing fire on hostile batteries at any moment during the crucial period of preparation. These arrangements were to be put into effect in any case at zero hour to neutralize the hostile defensive barrage on the front of attack. With the exception of the 2nd Canadian Division, which was now holding the entire front, and would be in corps reserve at the time of attack, every resource of the Canadian Corps was to be crowded in that narrow space. The provision of an effective artillery barrage presented considerable difficulty, owing to the depth of the attack and its general direction. On the 4th Canadian Division front particularly, The depth to the initial objective was such that the batteries were compelled to move forward into captured ground and continue firing the barrage from these new positions. Provision was made for the advance of a number of batteries, with their echelons to the canal line and beyond, whilst the attack was in progress. A large number of machine gun batteries were detailed to supply the initial barrage, and later to advance in support of the infantry provisions were also made for engineer units to move forward immediately following the assaulting troops to effect immediate repair to the roads and crossings of the canal in order to enable the artillery to move up in support of the infantry the greatest precautions had been taken to ensure secrecy and camouflage had been used extensively to prevent detection of the preparations of all kinds that were in progress Further, to conceal our intentions, it was decided that no preliminary fighting to secure a jumping-off line would take place, and that the Germans would be left in possession of their positions west of the canal until the hour of the attack. It was also hoped that, by letting the Germans retain this ground, their defensive barrage would remain well west of the canal, instead of being placed on the canal itself, where the banks offered a serious obstacle and reduced very considerably the rate of advance of the assaulting troops on our right the 17th corps was to advance and capture fontaine notre dame in conjunction with the capture of berlon wood by the 4th canadian division on the night of september 25 26 the 22nd corps on the left took over the front as far south as the arras cambrai road and arranged to extend the artillery and machine gun barrage to their front, so as to deceive the enemy regarding actual flanks of the attack. The Fourth and First Canadian Divisions went into the line on their respective battle fronts. The Second Canadian Division, on completion of the relief, passed into corps reserve. During the night of September 26, 27, all final adjustments and moves were made and everything was ready before zero hour this was for everybody a night full of anxiety but apart from the usual harassing fire and night bombing nothing untoward happened before proceeding to the attack itself a review of the general strategic plan of which it formed so vital a part is not out of place the fourth and third british armies were about to launch a frontal attack on the hindenburg system hitherto unbroken from san quentin north to cambrai it was to be the honorable function of the canadian corps having already passed through the hindenburg line west of the canal du nord to press forward on the extreme left of this general attack and thus turn the hindenburg system from the north its task was not so much to capture cambrai which in fact was outside our southern boundary, as to drive forward along the northern bank of the Scheldt and thus compromise enemy communications north and south. In our opening chapter sufficient extracts were made from Sir Douglas Haig's victory dispatch to outline the general plan. We may now with advantage follow him again. The details of the strategic plan upon which future operations should be based were the subject of careful discussion between Marshal Foch and myself. Preparations were already far advanced for the successful attack by which, on September twelfth, the 1st American Army, assisted by certain French divisions, drove the enemy from the San Miguel salient and inflicted heavy losses upon him in prisoners and guns. Ultimately, it was decided that as soon as possible after this attack, four convergent and simultaneous offensives should be launched by the Allies as follows. By the Americans west of Meziers, By the French west of Argonne in close cooperation with the American attack and with the same general objectives. By the British on the San quentin Cambrai front in the general direction of Mauberge, By the Belgian and Allied forces in Flanders in the direction of Ghent by these attacks it was expected as already indicated that the important german forces opposite the french and americans would be pressed back upon the difficult country of the ardennes while the british thrust struck at their principal lines of communication it was intended to take advantage of the weakening of the german forces on this front to clear the belgian coast by a surprise attack success in any one of these offenses might compel the enemy to withdraw to the line of the Meuse. The results to be obtained from these different attacks depended in a peculiarly large degree upon the British attack in the center. It was here that the enemy's defenses were most highly organized. If these were broken, the threat, directed as his vital systems of lateral communication, would of necessity react upon his defenses elsewhere. On the other hand, the long period of sustained offensive action through which the british armies had already passed had made large demands both upon the troops themselves and upon my available reserves throughout our attacks from august 8 onwards our losses in proportion to the results achieved and the prisoners taken had been consistently and remarkably small in the aggregate however they were considerable and in the face of them an attack upon so formidably organized a position as that which now confronted us could not be lightly undertaken moreover the political effects of an unsuccessful attack upon a position so well known as the Hindenburg line would be large and would go far to revive the declining morale not only of the German army but of the German people these different considerations were present to my mind the probable results of a costly failure, or indeed of anything short of a decided success in any attempt upon the main defenses of the Hindenburg line were obvious, but I was convinced that the British attack was the essential part of the general scheme and that the moment was favorable. Accordingly, I decided to proceed with the attack and all preparatory measures, including the preliminary operations already recounted were carried out as rapidly and as thoroughly as possible he then proceeds to describe the difficulties of the task confronting the fourth and third armies continuing the battle of cambrai which on october fifth culminated in the capture of the last remaining sectors of the hindenburg line was commenced by the first and third armies between the neighborhood of st quentin and the scheldt the fourth third and first armies in the order named occupied on the evening of September 26, a line running from the village of Selincy, west of San Quentin, to Gricourt and Pontroute, and then east of Villers and Limpier to Villers-Guyselaine and Guzacourt, both exclusive. Thereafter, the line continued northwards to Havrincourt and Muers, and thence along the west side of the Canal du Nord to the floods of the Seine at Aecor-San Quentin, On the 1st and 3rd Army fronts, strong positions covering the approaches to Cambrai between the Nord and Shell canals, including the section of the Hindenburg line itself, north of Gouzer Corps, were still in the enemy's possession. His trenches in this sector faced southwest, and it was desirable that they should be taken in the early stages of the operation, so as to render it easier for the artillery of the 4th Army to get into position. On the 4th Army front, where the heaviest blow was to fall, the exceptional strength of the enemy's position made a prolonged bombardment necessary. I therefore decided that a very heavy bombardment, opened during the night of September twenty sixth, 27 along the whole front of all three armies, should be followed on the morning of September 27 by an attack delivered by the 1st and 3rd Armies in this way the enemy might be deceived as to the main point of the attack the first and third armies would be enabled to get nearer to their final objective and the task of the fourth army artillery would be simplified on the morning of september twenty sixth french and american forces attacked on both sides of the argonne between the meuse and sweep rivers at five twenty a m on september twenty seventh the third and first british armies Attacked with the 4th, 6th, 17th and Canadian Corps in the direction of Cambrai on a front of about 13 miles from Gouzecourt to the neighborhood of les Lestre. The success of the northern part of the attack depended on the ability of our troops to debouch from the neighborhood of werves and to secure the crossings of the Canal du Nord in that locality. The northern portion of the Canal du Nord was too formidable an obstacle to be crossed in the face of the enemy. It was therefore necessary for the attacking divisions to force a passage on a comparatively narrow front about Muerves, and thereafter turn the line of the canal farther north by a divergent attack developed fan-wise from the point of crossing. This difficult maneuver was carried out successfully and on the whole front of our attack our infantry assisted by some sixty-five tanks broke deeply into the enemy's position this testimony to the work of the canadian corps from so high a quarter is very satisfactory though it was Inchy and not mouers that furnished the jumping-off spot as has been explained this difficult manoeuvre had originated in the brain of the canadian corps commander it was a daring plan that success alone could justify every commanding officer in the corps to whom the secret had been entrusted was well aware of that thus the narrative of the first canadian division after an appreciation of the general strategic situation says the battle was divided into three main phases first on the left the storming of the canal de nord and the advance on cambrai followed immediately by the second phase the great blow which shattered the Hindenburg line and outflanked the defenses of San Quentin and third came the general attack on the whole front which resulted in the capture of Cambrai and San Quentin and forced the enemy to retire behind the line of the river Sel. It was in the first phase of this battle that the Canadian Corps was chiefly interested for to the Corps was given the task of forcing the Canal du Nord capturing Bourlon Wood and the high ground to the north of it And then advancing on Cambrai and seizing the crossings of the Scheldt Canal and the Sensee River to the east and north of that city. This would afford complete protection for the main attack to the south and this was the real objective of the Canadian Corps. The attack presented many unusual features. In the first place the Canal du Nord was passable on the Corps sector on a front of 2,500 yards only this meant that four divisions had to be got through this narrow defile and in addition there were engineers artillery machine-gunners and all the supply trains of various descriptions to add to these difficulties the canal had to be bridged in many places especially to permit the passage of guns and limbers at the very outset therefore the success of the battle devolved upon the engineers while the infantry under cover of the artillery barrage might carry the canal in the first rush it was essential that guns and ammunition be brought forward across the canal as soon as possible to do this bridges were a necessity the task set the engineers was of vital importance the plan of course was confided to the army commanders sir julian bing as has been seen was in command of the third army on our right and on one of these september days he came over to corps headquarters at Neuville Vitas to talk it over with Sir Arthur Currie. Mutual confidence and esteem existed between the past and present Canadian corps commanders. Sir Julian could speak with peculiar authority, for no one knew this battlefield so intimately, had studied it to such good purpose, nor could more fully appreciate its dangers and difficulties. He had heard, he said, of the proposed plan of attack, and as an old friend he could not refrain from pointing out its hazards, Did Sir Arthur Curry think he could really carry out the operation, because in his opinion the Canadian Corps was attempting the most difficult maneuver yet attempted on a battlefield in this war? They discussed the plan in detail, and Sir Julian went away, if not convinced, at least immensely struck by its audacity and brilliance. End of Part 3, Chapter 3 Recording by James O'Connor Randolph, Massachusetts May 2010.